hey, joining us now, our good friend, Mr. Al Bat from somewhere near Heartland, Minnesota. Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning. Good morning, everyone. I'm I'm pouring through scholarship applications. I have 15 to go here. What? Are, so what? Tell me about uh, what type of scholarships uh, for what? For college. Uh, You're going to college, of, uh, Al? Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> they'll, I don't, if they'll have me back again, I'm not sure. Oh. Uh, these are young folks that are applying from the from the area here, and I'm one of the folks that determines who who uh that makes me sound like much more of a big shot than i am i just kind of help grade them and it's tough man they're all so good but it's uh it's hard to do but i'm there was a rose-breasted grosbeak flew into a window feeder here and was singing just this beautiful whistled song of theirs so it uh it it helped maybe that was a sign that you're supposed to choose that one It might be because, oh, you know, I know a lot of folks listening have probably done this, and they're all, you know, 4.0, and they're active in volunteer groups, and, I mean, they're all just, you wish uh, the organization you're doing it for had billions of dollars so they could give them all because, boy, they're all They're all worthy, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Is there an an LBAT scholarship or not yet? Uh, you know, my wife's family has oh. has one, so and she just determined who was getting that. So it's uh, somebody that's going into it, it's given to those who are going into the teaching trade, if we still oh, call it that. Very so, nice. Uh, each year, so it's nice. Um, I listened uh, this morning when I took the mail down. I listened to that insistent insistent whistle of a cardinal. And it's impossible to ignore a red bird for me. I just have to stop and and look. And I walk past plantain, which Native people called white man's footsteps. And during the night, raccoons were noisy. Uh, they wake me. Uh, <laughs> it's not the mating season. That's February to March. And then they have, I think it's a 63-day gestation period. So then the female gives birth to a litter of two to six young in April or May. Uh, in this case, it's in a hollow tree, but they use woodchuck burrows, culverts under buildings. So it's something to do with the babies there and uh, fussing around with maybe another adult raccoon or something. But, oh, they're just, uh, I don't speak raccoon, but it was not... There were not nice things being said, is Uh-oh. what I figured out. And the cool weather, um, Lou Jean Ingham, a friend of ours from Hayward, sent my wife a photo of her bird bath. Uh, pretty much she you could ice skate on it. It got down to 27, she said, during the night, so froze her bird bath pretty good. It knocks off some things. I love seeing tiny spring azures. They're among the first butterflies seen in the spring that haven't hibernated over winter as adults. And these little guys, maybe an inch wing spread, they have bright blue upper wings that are apparent as as they fly in search of mates or food. So anybody's tried to take a photo of them, you chase them around, and then they perch on a dandelion or something. And, of course, they close their wings. And then all of it you see are gray with spots instead of that beautiful blue. But they're still pretty little guys, and I'm just happy to see them. Uh, I got a couple of emails this morning about the the uh, 17-year periodical cicadas. And, you know, they're emerging in many major media markets, but not in Minnesota. So we don't uh, get these guys. 
These uh, cicadas that we get here are slightly larger than the 17-year periodical cicadas. Oh, ours are larger than those? Because, I mean, I think a lot of people think they're very scary bugs, even though they're very harmless. Yeah, and ours are kind of green, and theirs is is sort of orange. And I've uh, heard from a friend out there, he said there can be twenty to 40,000 in a single tree. Oh, my. (laughs) <laughs> and why are they noisy? Because the, they're nymphs. They spent their lives uh, a foot to two feet uh, deep in soil where they feed on tree sap. And they're noisy because 17 years, they're teenagers. They're coming out, and, man, they got things going on. And this is brood 10. And some of the broods aren't doing very well. There's two broods that have gone extinct, and a third is declining due to deforestation of the 17 years. Oh, I watched some trumpeter swans. I love seeing trumpeter swans, and they're nesting in this one area, and I can drive by and not bother them. They don't seem to pay any attention to me whatsoever. And it's a shallow wetland, and they use their strong webbed feet to dig into the pond bottom for roots, shoots, and tubers. And their big feet churn like the swans are on a peloton bike before they plunge their heads and necks underwater to eat what they've dislodged. They're just really cool. I visited a friend, stopped at his house, and he said that he'd come home from grocery shopping to discover a wild turkey tom in his yard. And the turkey had been courting a nearby hen. And the tom identified the returning shopper as a competitor and shifted into attack mode. My friend retreated swiftly to the deck of his home, but the tom followed him nimbly. The man kicked the turkey twice, but it only encouraged the tom's assault, and the tom had put the man's castle under siege. Finally, in desperation, the man pulled a loaf of bread from his shopping bag and struck the big bird with it, and that did the trick and sent the tom into retreat. So it speaks softly and carry a loaf of bread, I think, <laughs> as you go through life. A listener, uh, you sent this along to me, Karen, a few weeks back. I had a pileated woodpecker working a tree just outside my window. Did some major work on it, and he hasn't been back since. May he return. Uh, yeah, he will as long as there's food there. Uh, birds are kind of creatures of habit as we are. So we return to the same places where we enjoy. If there, if he ate it out of uh, out of all the food he could find in there, then he's probably not going to come back. And uh, so I can give you a definite maybe on that. Oh dear! But if yeah, if there's still some food in there, he'll be back. And if it's good food, he'll be back sooner than later. Uh, Rick Mammel said he saw, Rick is from Albert Lee, saw his first hummingbird on the 2nd of May. His first Oriole, Baltimore Oriole, was on the 5th of May. He said still has a lot of white-throated sparrows around. I haven't heard from anybody today that said they still have a junco around. I always see juncos well into May, but they seem to have cleaned out of my yard. Uh, Carol Bertelson, also of Albert Lee, saw a red-headed woodpecker. Uh, Vicki Laroon and Tom Hager uh, saw a black and white warbler, which is really a neat bird to see as far as warblers go. Most warblers, uh, oh, they're just, um, motion never stops. 
black and whites kind of move on the bark a little bit so you can get a good look at and oddly enough they are black and white is just like the perfect name for them so thank you vicky and tom as always uh miriam of saint paul sent you a photo what was she on the ninth floor yeah she's on the ninth floor of an office building there and and yeah isn't that a cool picture she had a visitor yeah there's um it's like a desk chair there and a desk or a table anyway and here is this hawk looking in the window like what's going on in there and if if the bird had a yellow eye a pale yellow eye and what that means is that it's a red-tailed hawk is what's looking in there the pale yellow eye that's what a young bird has and it can take several years for that eye to darken. So this is a young bird still trying to figure out the world, but that is that is really cool. And the bird is just, just looking in there like it's late for a meeting, and can somebody open the window and come in? Because if I come in through the door, the boss will see me, and I'll be late. Not that anybody listening has ever tried anything like that, but well, this hawk appears to be doing that. I, said, I sent her a note and said, you should put one of those suction cup feeders out there, and you'd probably have a lot more of visitors and she said well it's the ninth floor so they don't allow you to open windows so they're <laughs> they no. don't because in case yeah. you know you jump out or something but it's a really cool i love the one where the hawk is looking like directly at her as if it's challenging her or something i think it's so cool. yep. yep and uh you just wonder what's uh what's going through the brain of birds when they're doing something like that and I suppose that's a, a perch, pretty good perch. You can get up there and sit and look around. And it looks like there's a lot of grassy areas down there where it might find good luck uh, catching a rodent or something. So you said, uh, again, I was going to say, what kind sorry. of hawk? You said it's the red-tailed hawk? Red-tailed hawk. hawk. Okay. And, red-tailed okay. hawk. Cool. All right. And that uh, might be our... Uh, the hawk that most people, when they think of hawk, they probably think of the red-tailed hawk. Whether they know what it is or not, that's the one we see along roadsides, perched on poles, utility poles, fence posts, that sort of thing, and just hunting. And how? And there's how stationary does it, hunters. And how does it differ from the, the Cooper's hawk? Because there's the red tail and then there's the Cooper's, and I never know what the difference, how to tell the difference. The, the red tail is much bigger oh, okay. and much uh, it it doesn't attack our feeders generally, so it's not the one that's zooming through our yards. Uh, will they come in the yard? I have one that uh, perches on a tree in my yard, and they used to have a nest in the back until great horned owls took it away from them. So they uh, they will come in the yard, but uh, they're probably more interested in rabbits. Uh, they would certainly take a squirrel if they could find one. Uh, when I was a boy, Cooper's hawks were chicken hawks, if any bird deserved that title, which none of them really do. But that was the one who bothered our chickens a little bit more than the red-tailed hawks. Got a um, couple of all uh, oh, kind of sad stories in a way. Robert Jessen of uh, Austin said he was golfing in Olmstead County, and a mother mallard was escorting a, across the golf course around six ducklings to a new pond. And a red-tailed hawk saw this and made a pass, and the mother duck raised up to defend, and the hawk went to a tree and then came back and picked off one of the ducklings. Uh, the mother and the rest of the clan kept going. Uh, 
the red tail consumed the cats near the kill spot and then went after more, but it was too late as the ducks were going under a fence into the pond. He said, while tough to watch, what struck me was the red tail could have caught and taken them all with a few passes and ate later. Instead, the hawk did, as I described, consuming the first kill first. Mm. So they are good at... Uh, Catching things, uh, they will certainly take a pheasant. I saw a red-tailed hawk a couple years ago take a rooster pheasant. The rooster flew away, and he had it made. And then he made a U-turn and came back to where the hawk was perched. It had made a, The hawk made an attempt and missed. And the rooster's coming back, and it got hit in the air by this red-tailed hawk, and it was just like the rooster pheasant had exploded. It was incredible. Uh, Ruth Olson of Albert Lee saw a pillated woodpecker and trumpeter swans. Daniel Otten of Hayward saw a Harris's sparrow. He said, uh, the Harris's sparrow, I think, is just beautiful. It's the only songbird species that breeds in Canada and nowhere else. Uh, Carolyn Fisher and Betty Lucas of Mason City. This is something that maybe give us a little bit of an idea of what's coming here. They went to McIntosh State Park by Ventura. They saw 16 species of warblers, a summer tanager, black-crowned night herons. They saw eight of those. Gray-cheeked thrush, Swainson thrush at Ventura Marsh, American avocets, 13 of those. Willets, yellow legs. Oh, I've seen so many yellow legs. What beautiful birds they are, folks. Uh, Lee sandpiper, Caspian terns, Forster's tern, and green heron. In those two places, they saw 79 species of birds in one morning of birding. So, uh, Donna and Dwayne Swenson of Wasika saw a purple finch. I talked to Steve Eno, a friend from Raymond, Nebraska. And Raymond is near Lincoln. And we were talking about the lack of bluebirds that everybody is seeing. And Gordon Hopp of Unadilla, also in Nebraska, said his numbers are about 15% below last year. and He has uh, 300 boxes of bluebird boxes. Keith Radel of Fairbolt said his numbers are about 15% bl- below. And Steve Eno said about 15% below. And why? Uh, those winter storms in the south with that cold and cold and ice, it had a catastrophic effect on any migratory songbird in that area. And so, sadly, people are seeing fewer bluebirds. So I hope they have a real good, I hope the weather warms up and gets nicer and so that they have a good crop of young bluebirds. Uh, Gunner Berg of Albert Lee sent me some beautiful photos of prothonotary warbler, yellow warbler, and an indigo bunting. Prothonotary warbler, the Elger Hiss case. Uh, Elger Hiss was just, uh, he told everyone that he'd seen a prothonotary warbler, and it's a long story, that case, uh, but it got him in a lot of trouble. Uh, Tom Bover saw a white-faced ibis in Rice County. Dave Bartke saw a black-necked stilt in Steele County. And I looked for that bird, Dave, and I darn it, I just, uh, it must have seen me coming. I couldn't see it. I love seeing black-necked stilts. Uh, Sharon Holzer in Watton County had a mute swan, and I never know how to pronounce this, Fedgie Lake, F-E-D-J-E, 
Lake. I've been there, and I still don't <laughs> know how to pronounce it. And a Sanderling south of Medelia. Michael Atkins saw a Philadelphia Vireo in Blue Earth County. Bob Williams had a redneck fallowrope in Sibley County. Wayne Fetter had a snowy egret in Faribault County. Rasmussen Woods, Brian Smith, found a Carolina red there, and that's in Blue Earth County. And Robert Watson had an orchard oriole in uh, Mower County. So a lot of great birds going through. Dennis Anderson of Heartland asked, when do pelicans nest? Because he saw a lot of pelicans on Albert Lee Lake. Minnesota has 10 lakes, a city, Pelican Rapids, and a river that include pelican as part of their names. And in April and May, they begin nesting in these large, dense groups. Pelicans nest on the ground, mainly on isolated islands. American white pelicans reach sexual maturity around three years of age, and they average two eggs in a nest. Minnesota has 15 known nesting colonies, but the number and the locations can vary. So the ones that uh, Denny is seeing around Albert Lee Lake are those that are probably uh, uh, immatures yet, or they're failed breeders for one reason or another, just haven't uh, haven't met that special someone. Yet. Yesterday I um, was out at the Lake, um, Lake Washington and saw a number of pelicans, so I was wondering if they're just on their way through. They are, there's like a little sandbar across the lake from us, and they were all just kind of sitting in the sandbar, all the little white you know, dots that were filling the whole place. So are they on their way somewhere, or do they nest around there ever? Um, most of them would be either on their way or they're just birds that fish there. Oh, so okay. a lot of them will stay here. And if you will look at pelicans, both the male and females, if they're of breeding age, they will have a nuptial tubercle on the top of their top bill. There'll be a big bump that looks just like the bill, the same color and everything, only it's a big bump up there. Is it like a Roman nose be- kind of, <laughs> except on a pelican? Yeah. <laughs> And it means they're of the age and they're mature enough that they could have a lasting relationship. Oh. And if they don't have that, then they're just a young bird and they, they have no obligations. They can fish in one lake for a while. They can fish at Lake Washington for a while. Then they can fly over to Faribault to Shields Lake or somewhere and fish there for a while. Wherever the fishing is good because they, no, uh, they don't have to be anywhere. They don't have a job they don't have the responsibility of family so it's just a a time for these guys till they're about three years old to kind of figure out what they want to do in their life Hmm. uh grant garriott of he's from mcgregor minnesota and he wrote and he said we bought a fake owl one summer to discourage (laughs) woodpeckers from attacking our home cedar siding. The only thing it accomplished was luring screaming crows to the house. <laughs> the woodpeckers ignored it and continued their drilling operations. Oh, yeah, dear. I just, they just, they don't work. And I know folks put them out and the woodpeckers leave, but I think it's for another reason that the woodpeckers leave. They just, uh, they've finished their work there. Uh, on, Here's a listener who said, I watched a crow dip bread in a bird bath. What was it doing? That's a fairly common thing to see about see crows do. They dip their food in water to soften it. 
So crows will soak food, especially when they have nestlings, to make it easier for them to eat. And it also provides them with water. So you figure, well, those babies should have some water. I'll just, I'll find some food, I'll put it in the water, it'll soften, and then there'll be water in there. So they get to eat and drink at the same time. So that's what's going on there. Crows are pretty smart, and I've seen them do that. Seen them do that a lot, with sometimes with foods that you just wonder, why does that have to be soaked? It doesn't seem to be... Um, have something that's that uh, needs a in need of water, and they uh, they will do that. Maybe it's habit. I know when I was a kid, a lot of folks would say, "Well, they're washing their food." Um, no, you know we've all seen crows eat things on uh, roadsides, so they're probably not washing their food. I don't know that uh, clean food is the first thing on their mind, but they they do soften it. So that's it's cool that you got to see that. Uh, talking about the pileated, I looked at a uh, dead tree the other day. It was mostly holes, and I figured that was a work of a workaholic woodpecker. <laughs> and a lot of bumblebees moving kind of slow, and I got to pet one, so I like to pet bumblebees and don't like to bother them too much, so I try to make it quick. And in the morning when they're not moving very well, it's easy to do. And uh, periwinkle and squill. I love those little blue-purple flowers. They just bloom early and so beautifully in the yard here. I but just they're invasive, are... though. You know the squill is something they're, they, the uh, DNR is concerned about getting out of I hand. Know. And they are beautiful, I, I agree. And they say, you know, unless you can try to keep them in a contained garden area, it's best to try and get rid of them, so sadly. I've talked to them. And I said, we'll be watching your behavior, and they uh, promised to shape up and just kind of stick together. And I I think we're all going to get along, but it, it's just so neat to see them after, well, after winter. This was a nice winter, but still, it's just those flowers come out, and you just think, boy, there's hope for all the world when we see a flower coming up. Do, uh, this is from a, a grade school class. They do birds other than owls produce pellets. And I bet they're, oh. they were carving up some pellets in school or something. Owls are the only ones that produce owl pellets. I can say that, definitely. Uh, owl pellets provide windows into an owl's diet, and I bet a lot of listeners have done that. You can see what they've been eating. The pellets are regurgitated remnants of prey. So they're the indigestible parts of a meal. So you'd find bones, fur, claw, feathers in there. But owls are not the only birds that regurgitate pellets. Hawks, eagles, grebes, herons, cormorants, gulls, terns, kingfishers, crows, jays, uh, flycatchers, shrikes. Those are just some of the other birds that do. So a lot of birds will eat things. If you think like a flycatcher, he's catching these insects and he's eating them. Well, there's pieces of that insect that just, they don't digest very well. You think of, boy, if you eat a beetle, it's got that hard shell on it that's almost like a bone. That just probably doesn't do very well. So after a while, you just go somewhere and hack it up, you know, like a cat does with a hairball. Things just, uh, <laughs> they got to cough them up. So it, it's that same kind of thing. Things that they cannot digest, they'll hack up. So that's a great question. Uh, what else other than Orioles eat grape jelly from feeders? 
Oh, boy, here we go. See how many I can rattle off here. Catbirds, tanagers, robins, house finches, woodpeckers. Woodpeckers would be downy, hairy, and red-bellied for sure. Uh, brown thrashers, rose-breasted grosbeaks, cardinals, starlings, uh, Cape May warblers, yellow rump warblers, orange crown warblers, chipmunks, squirrels. I think uh, that might, uh, I'm sure I'm missing some in there, but in other words, quite a number of them do. Speaking and of Orioles, before you, you go on, I want to let you know that I got a, a note from Rich here. Rich says he heard a Baltimore Oriole return on Mother's Day. He hasn't seen it yet, but he says he hears it every day. He says they're like ventriloquists. <laughs> they are. And uh, they have that beautiful whistle, and uh, sometimes I'll whistle at them, and they'll whistle back. And I think, well, he's returning my whistle, but he he's probably not paying any attention to my whistle at all. He's just whistling off. He has his own things to whistle about in life, but it, it, it gives me a chuckle just to think I'm actually talking to an Oriole, which I'm not. But that's, a, that's great, Rich. I love them, and I'm glad it returned on Mother's Day. That's really a neat thing. And I got a strange I, picture of a bird from Al. It looks rather like a <clears throat> beanie baby parrot. <laughs> and he said he took a picture of a bird, but it flew away <laughs> on April 1st, by the way. So April 1st, uh-huh. get it, uh-huh. And he said he saw two sandhill cranes on his dad's front yard last week. And, of course, that's in Andover. And today is his sister's birthday. So we want to wish his sister, who's going through cancer treatment, we want to wish her a happy birthday. And then he has a joke. Uh, slow pitch and home run for Al. What job did the frog get at the hotel? What, uh, the bellhop. You got it. You, it's, a, it's a home run. You got it. <laughs> this, is a, this is a happy day. I'm going out and buy a lottery ticket <laughs> right, as soon right. as I get off here. Cause this, I, I just had a, I have put peanuts in a window feeder for the Blue Jays because they just love them. They're in the shell. There's a grackle that comes in and grabs them now. Oh. Uh, and I watch him. He flies down the ground, hacks them open, and eats the peanuts. So... Uh, Is that unusual? I didn't know that, I guess, I never thought of grackles as eating peanuts. No, I guess they eat about anything, but apparently he's been watching those blue jays and saying, hey, what are those guys doing there? Because they're flying in and gathering, so he's went in. I've seen him come in and take three or four. I'm assuming it's the same grackle. It's a male grackle. And so he's figured out, so now I have... uh, I'm feeding grackles peanuts as well as the blue jays, so I, good or bad. And I, I admire him to have, he figured that out. Because I'd seen it for a while, these peanuts down on the ground just hacked open there. And I thought, what is doing that? Because the blue jays fly away with them. But it was that guy. Well, aren't birds in, haven't they done intelligence tests? And some birds are actually quite quite smart especially i think it may be of the crows haven't they done some intelligence yeah crows and ravens are the class valedictorians but okay. geese hawks they're uh, extremely intelligent as well magpies yeah birds are and, and the more we study them uh, more scientists study the more intelligence they find they find the more they delve into it the smarter they find they are uh, thanks, everybody. Man, it's great to hear from so many. Thanks for sitting on the front porch with me. I said uh, there's a couple of kind of oofta stories, and I'm going to finish with one. Uh, multicolored Asian lady beetles have filled our garage. They're just—they're not quite everywhere. They missed, I think, one spot. 
but it's impossible to get in and out of my car without inviting beetles in. Well, my wife and I went grocery shopping. My job when shopping with my bride is to stay by the shopping cart. Um, I'm good at that. (laughs) Occasionally, I give the cart a light push and say, vroom, vroom. (laughs) And, And I loiter in the health food aisle in case I should tip over after a long and courageous battle with a uh, nasty hangnail, because I figured that would make me look good. He was concerned about his health until the very end, a mourner might say. So there I was in the health food section, staying near the cart, and I was content. Right about then, I felt something crawling where things shouldn't be crawling. It was on my south end. And when my wife returned from some mysterious aisle where I've never been, I told her I needed to visit the little boy's room, and I needed to visit it quickly. Once there, I did what I could to find the cause of the crawling sensation. It was a multicolored Asian lady beetle, and I was happy to see it and to see it go, and it fell to the floor and crawled away to find another rear end of torment. And I rejoined my wife. I smiled this big smile, and I hope she thought it was only because I was happy to see her again. I was happy to see her again, but I had other reasons to smile. Remember, folks, Heartland is while we're driving past. Thanks for listening to me, and uh, thank you, Karen, as always, for your wonderful company. Do something wild today, folks. Get out there and look at a bird, and um, great hearing from all of you. Thank you. Yeah, it is. Thank you, Al. We appreciate you. We'll talk to you next week. Happy bird watching. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, our good friend Al Bat. Always great to chat with him and see what's going on. And, and love to hear from our listeners, too. Thanks for sharing what you've been seeing out in your yard and sending uh, pictures once in a while. We enjoy that, too. So I got a picture of a, a beanie baby parrot <laughs> and a real red-tailed hawk up on the ninth floor in a St. Paul office building. So uh, really kind of fun to see what you're seeing in your world as well. Let's get some more music in here because, well, we can. Uh, I think first let's do our history lesson because I think I have that up ready to go, don't I? Well, maybe I didn't. I thought I did. Yeah, I do. Here it is. And it happens to be about birds. Amazing. Lee. Welcome to MN90, Minnesota history in 90 seconds. In early Minnesota history, these sounds were common. Turkeys clucking and calling. But by the 20th century, logging and unregulated hunting had driven the bird out of the state. Minnesota tried reintroducing the turkey several times, but these birds failed to adapt to the terrain and climate. Still, the DNR had heard about a hardier eastern breed in Missouri. So, in 1971, the two states did a swap. Minnesota sent rough grouse to Missouri, and Missouri sent 13 wild turkeys north. Over the next 38 years, more than 5,000 turkeys were reintroduced to nearly 300 sites around the state. The reintroduction of turkeys has become a wildlife success story. The DNR estimates that there are now some 30,000 toms and hens who call Minnesota home. MN90 is produced by Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities. Made possible by funding from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Online at mn90.org. There we go. I know, uh, speaking of turkeys repopulating the areas, when my parents on our, our farm 
uh, way back when, when they did that sort of thing, we had a bunch of turkeys introduced, and there are turkeys there today. So uh, they are a success story in, in case of, uh, you know, not being any and to having some around, which is really cool. It's 1034. You're listening to A Minnesota Morning on the Maverick. My name is Karen Wright. Thanks for joining me here on A Minnesota Morning. It's a warming up outside. We're at 57. Today's high 60, so we'll get a little warmer yet. Uh, not too bad. Tomorrow we'll get up to 66, 67 on Thursday, and then it'll dip uh, to 60 on Friday with cloudy skies. And then your Saturday, 66, mostly cloudy. And some rain showers look like they are possible on Sunday. Not a lot, even though we are really in uh, pretty severe need of some rain. It's getting, uh, haven't had any really in a while, and they're just saying, Oh, maybe a little over a tenth on Sunday. So let's hope.